you know, we hired a gunman at one point on the Amazon towards the last 800 miles. Uh, he was a off-duty uh, police officer. He followed us in a motorboat, uh, and that cost a lot of money. But this was a really bad area for kidnapping, kidnappings and shootings. So once again, while some people see us as risk takers, we took as many precautions as we could financially do. Welcome to Out of Adventuring, the show about explorers and inspiring adventurers and the details behind their incredible journeys. They not only take us through their hardships and highlights, but also let us know what they have learned on these trips that has changed them and their everyday life. Hi, I'm Torben from the World Explorers Collective, and today with me is Wes Hansen. West is an extreme kayaker and he's especially known for rowing the Amazon from source to sea, something only really a handful of people, um, at least in modern times, have ever achieved. But that's just one of his adventures. He continued rowing the icy Volga in Russia a few years later and he's now about to set out on his new adventure or actually he's already started it somehow, but more on that later, to be the first person, period, just the first person together with his team to kayak through the Northwest Passage. And if you are a regular listener to this podcast, you have heard the Northwest Passage before because it probably is hands down one of the last ocean stretches, which is so dangerous to any vessel that is not an icebreaker that might change in the future with you know climate change actually melting some of that that polar ice but as of now it is still incredibly dangerous and that has many reasons storms absolutely icy waters but most importantly it's completely desolated there are a few settlements but they are hundreds and hundreds of kilometers apart and not a lot of technology is really working up there and if you are in a dangerous situation and need help then it's one of those few places where you just don't get it that no one is coming for you and to anyone who is now wondering what that northwest passage is it's the stretch that connects the atlantic and the pacific ocean north of canada we're going to talk about all of these adventures and west's incredible experiences and all of those And actually, this episode is something truly special for me because I've known West as a figure, at least, for over a decade now. Because in 2016, I also went to the Amazon and I also tried to row a good chunk of it. Spoiler, I failed. Well, it's part of the deal. And I'm sure we're going to explore in this episode a little bit on why it's actually so incredibly difficult and dangerous to row down the Amazon River in just a little canoe or in a little kayak. And for me, this is now a very special moment, having the chance to speak to West, because I would like to tell my younger self to call West and ask him about his experiences, uh, because he had done it about three years uh, prior to when I started out on this trip. West wrote a book about rowing down the Amazon. The book was released after I had started the trip, so... 
I actually couldn't read it as a as a preparation. And back then, of course, I was in this mindset of thinking, why would someone like West, who's achieved so many incredible things, who's part of the Explorers Club and a, a, a truly inspirational figure, why would he respond to my email if I ask him, hey, can you give me some tips on how to roll down the Amazon just by yourself? And now having talked to him, I I know that uh, I should have done that. And most importantly, he would have replied. Well, I've helped out a lot of people. Uh, the people do reach out to me frequently, which is really nice. And, and I give them, uh, I have the maps. I have a lot of contacts down on the Amazon. And, and I'm more than happy to help out anybody going down there so they can avoid you know, what you ran into. I'm really looking forward to reading your book. Uh, I appreciate you sending it to me, but I, I went ahead and ordered it as well. So I can have oh. a hard copy. I just want to let you know. Thank well, you. I've got, this is, this is my library. All these books are my Amazon section. Wow. Okay. Up there that those about six shelves are books on the history of the Amazon and current and, uh, and, and, uh, a, uh, historic, expeditions and that's part of my research that i'm doing and yours is now gonna join it that makes me very happy amazing yeah the amazon for you has it become a little bit of yeah i mean more than just a more than just a place to do an expedition like are you are you really quite active in that and you know let's say the preservation and just concerned about the amazon as such not necessarily uh i'm more interested in the the uh, because it's 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 very frustrating the the uh, preservation of the Amazon, any efforts are very frustrating down there because uh, there hasn't been any notable uh, headway in stopping the deforestation. And we, what we saw down there mm -hmm. has just gotten worse. I mean, anytime you have so much money that are you know environmentalists are working against, it's it's just terrible. So I I haven't put any efforts into there. I know a lot of people have. Um, But my interest more is uh, the the telling of the historic expeditions through there, and including the environmental uh, mm. movements and concerns, and and also the preservation of the indigenous people there. So yeah. I'll, to, for my part, I'll let people know of the history of man's existence in the Amazon and the Western or Westernized uh, uh, cultures and influences there through exp exploration. It, it's one of those points I think you've just raised that I often forgotten how big the impact actually is on the indigenous population. We we all see the forest and you know, the greenery, but there's actually tremendous impact on the indigenous people living there. Yeah, and that's been a huge concern of mine, not not just the environmental with the mm. Amazon and also with the Northwest Passage, because uh you know, a lot of these changes um uh, a lot of these changes that are happening in these areas, for instance, the Amazon and also in the Arctic, aren't subtle. When mm. the Asian and European cultures were developing, and even North Africa were developing, they did it slowly over centuries. There weren't, there weren't, you know, there wasn't just a an alien spacecraft land and say, "Here's nuclear fission." You know, it wasn't it wasn't like that. But that's kind of the way it is with with the Amazon and the Arctic, where upon uh, you know our modern conveniences and and abilities and science and and you know 
<laughs> McDonald's just land there abruptly. And that's such a shock to the system for uh, people that have lived there for thousands of years without it, that their level of adaptation isn't necessarily the the best thing. Uh, and, and that's not to say that they're against it either. I mean, for instance, in the Arctic, uh, the Inuit community as a whole welcome mining and welcome drilling and and things like this because that's a huge influx of money for you know the people that have lived primarily impoverished lives and so they're not necessarily saying no we don't want mining we don't want oil drilling we want these things uh what they are concerned about necessarily is is their ability to hunt and fish and, and things like that so it's not as clear cut as you know a bunch of white guys coming in and saying we're going to take over this forest and we're going to we're going to burn it down and grow wheat for cattle and and the mm. local population saying no because there might be a financial benefit for them or even a cultural benefit if they you know happen to want McDonald's so it's 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 very messy and and I'm not saying that I'm not justifying the industry or the 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 influx of industry uh at all uh, because it definitely has a strong negative impact. I'm just saying that it's not as clear cut as as a lot of people like to to portray it. Yeah, not not as black and white and good and bad per se. Right. There's a huge gray yeah. zone that yeah that makes a lot of sense. And obviously, in some cases, there are like the rubber industry in the turn of the last century, when you know before the industrialization of rubber or the the chemical process that make rubber when it just strictly came from from the trees in in mm. the Peruvian and Ecuadorian rainforests that was horrible i mean that's that is black and white that 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 uh you know when case went down there and did a study about you know from britain about the atrocities from the rubber barons yes that was horrible and that was bad mm. uh, for the culture they're killing thousands and thousands of people but in in other cases the more we've come up to modern day it's not as it's not as clear cut yeah uh, that uh, yeah that makes it sometimes even more difficult to to actually engage you know, because you need to treat it case yeah. by case and really understand and, and yeah, really engage in understanding what do the people and actually want and how much uh How much support is uh, is needed or not? You're absolutely right. You're absolutely mm. right. Now you uh, like your experience in the Amazon is um, very extreme. I would say you've been one of the few people. I mean, maybe you know the exact number, but you know, at least in modern times, one of the very few people who actually maneuvered. I would say the Amazon from source to sea, and you did that in a fairly small kayak. Right. Well, um, there have been, to date, only four individuals, including myself, that have gone from the most distant source to the sea, or at least near the most distant source. We're actually about four miles away from it, uh, the actual source than the actual source. So there's there's that issue, uh, the four-mile difference. And you can read the details about that in my book, uh, yeah. you know, the Amazon from source to sea. But um and then from all sources of the amazon there have probably been a total over the past 200 years of only 25 people uh from the early 1800s uh to to present time and i'm including oriana uh 
from the the 16th. The first one to, exactly. to go from Ecuador, uh, right? Yes, yes, and that was an accident. But uh, yeah. so there aren't very many, and 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 uh, it's uh, it's 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 kind of nice to be in that little group. But uh, at the same time, I really hope that through our experiences, people will learn more about the Amazon and 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 take it a little bit more seriously. However, I think one of one of those little uh, like asterisks or highlights that needs to be given is it is a dangerous undertaking. <laughs> yes. uh, it's uh, you know you you know in um, in Spain they have the Santiago walk. Right. A lot of people do that. It's very inspiring, very exhausting as well. Um, I think there's a different level of of risk taking involved when you actually embark on on a journey that that heads you down. The Amazon River, and how do you, you know, deal with that risk? How how do you how do you take risk? Are you are you a big risk taker per se, and that's why you do these things, or how do you describe yourself? That's a good question, and I get that I get that a lot, and I think a lot of people that do similar things that I do um, are considered risk taker risk takers uh, by by those who don't do these things, and I don't consider myself a risk taker at all. I'm not sure any of these folks do. Uh, because those of us who actually succeed, uh, or don't succeed, but come back alive, such as yourself, uh, uh, take as many precautions as possible. We don't take chances that are, you know, there, there, there's a line we don't cross when it, when it comes to life and limb, we're not swinging from vines with a, with a knife in our mouth, you know, to, to wrestle jaguars or anything to that nature. We're, we're taking very measured approaches. This isn't something that, you know, for instance, the Amazon or the, the, the Northwest passage, it's not something that I've approached on a whim and, uh, years of research, uh, logistics, uh, the cartography, Uh, I mean, I could probably go through the Northwest Passage right now without looking at a map because I spend so much time studying the charts and the maps and the history. Uh, and, and I'm not saying that rhetorically. I actually believe that with all the studying I've done, I wouldn't do so because that's bringing on another risk. But uh, the Amazon, the first 500 miles of it were fairly uncharted whitewater. Uh, one guy did the entire Montaro river before I did, uh, well, most of it, he, he, mm. he skipped about a 30 mile section, but, uh, before I did, and there were two guys, excuse me, there were two of those fellows that did it, but otherwise the river had, had never been run. And so to help with the safety and to take out some of that risk, uh, to which you were referring, I brought along, you know, you know, Uh, for the, the the best whitewater runners, kayakers, and rafters uh, in the world. I mean, these guys, there there were no better. I mean, these I mean, there were some guys as good, but these guys were just top notch, uh, including uh, our whitewater leader Juanito de Argarta. You know, may you rest in peace. Uh, and so I did everything these guys said. I mean, I had run some whitewater, but I knew these guys knew a lot more. So I brought them along to tell me what to do to to help with my safety. And if they said to do something, I did it. And if they said, we're not going to do this, I didn't. I did not ever question their authority. Uh, so the risk-taking, there will always be a risk, but we minimize it to the point of uh, hoping to succeed 
by doing something safely. And, uh, you know, the same thing thing with the Arctic. We pulled out of the Arctic last year primarily because the next step that we would have had to take was well beyond uh, reasonable risk. We would have have gone eight weeks with no support and very minimal amount of food. Our food would have been right on the edge of being able to make it. So we thought, no, we're going to come back and do this when we're we're more prepared. Sometimes I like to use the term risk managing, which… You know, fair enough. However, there's always some things you 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 cannot plan in these expeditions. You, you know, these unknown unknowns, kind of. And for you, one of one of the situations, and also, but speaking of from the personal experience, as I had that same experience in in the Amazon, is that you were held at gunpoint five times. Correct. Um. Now, probably, if someone calls you and tells you, "I'm going to the Amazon." You would tell them, be prepared to be held at gunpoint. Um, is that something you say, this is just a genuine risk and this is you know as risky as a thunderstorm coming? Or was it a lot of bad luck? Um like like how 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 do you place this this risk and this danger of of you know people, guns and violence uh, on the Amazon River? Well, and you're absolutely right. We did know that uh there's a possibility we we're gonna be held at gunpoint, and we know pretty specifically where those regions were by talking to other uh, paddlers who had been down there, rafters and kayakers and canoers who had done the similar routes. Um, And then we were also in close contact with the authorities at the entire time, either the, uh, the Peruvian or Brazilian uh, coast guard, which monitors uh, the Amazon and the Navy and also the police. So we had reports from them of recent violence and locations where the violence happened. Plus, I read books from people who had recently been there in the last 20 years and where these things were happening. So we researched the dangerous areas. And subsequently, we were able to get a Navy escort in Peru uh, through some very highly uh, trafficked pirate areas and also nar- mm-hmm. not necessarily the narco traffic areas because they weren't allowed in there by the narco traffickers. But the Contacts we had with the Peruvian military really panned out, and we were able to get them to follow us. Brazil, we weren't able to get an escort, but we were in constant contact with the Peruvian Navy. And they showed us on the maps where recent attacks had taken place or shootings had taken place. So we knew to be a little more cautious there. We ran dark campsites at night so no one could see our lights. Um, And sometimes we would paddle through the night if we really are well into the night in order to get to a safer place to, to camp. Um, and yeah, anybody going down there, I would tell the same things. Plus I wouldn't go alone. Um, and unfortunately, Emily, uh, this, this woman from Great Britain, uh, did die down there. She was killed, uh, primarily because she didn't follow our directions. It was not only me, but, uh, some other, uh, explorers that had paddled through the area that gave her warnings of these areas, and she just blatantly disregarded them and ended up ended up being killed. The the uh, uh, you know we hired a gunman at one point on the Amazon towards the last eight hundred miles. Uh, he was a off duty uh, police officer who followed us yeah. on a boat, uh, and that cost a lot of money, but. This was a really bad area for kidnapping, kidnappings and shootings. So once again, while some people see us as risk takers, we took as many precautions as we could financially do and 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 uh, 
you know. So it sounds really like you uh, you took a lot of uh, a lot of care. Of course, you can you know you cannot always abandon everything, and some some of those things just uh, just just happen. I mean, apart apart from the Amazon, or oh, how many people were you actually when you were rowing down the Amazon? How big was your your crew? Well, during the Whitewater, the about the first two hundred fifty miles, we actually had a ground crew, so there was about fifteen people total, including the paddlers that we had, and also a photographer from National Geographic was there. Uh, so that was, and my wife and daughter were there. I mean, it was really nice because they could stay in hotels at night and night and come see us during the day during the first section. The second 250 miles was desolate and it was just, uh, three kayakers and then, then the raft and there were four people on the raft, but the final 3,800 miles of the Amazon, once we got down to the cloud forest, we ended up, we, we switched teams and it was just two tandem kayaks and a solo kayak. And then the photographer hired a boat to follow us uh, for, you know, roughly a thousand or, yeah, I guess about a thousand miles. But after Peru, it was just one tandem kayak and me and a solo kayak. So it was just three for roughly the last uh, 2,200 miles. Uh, it was just the, this, the tandem kayak and me, the three of us. And that's, that's how we finished to, at the Atlantic Ocean with just three of us. Wow. So, I mean, it is in the end a very, very small group of people because yeah. well, when you hear, you hear in the beginning, we started with 15 people. You think, I mean, you know, you're quite protected with 15 people, but, you know, then it gets slimmer and slimmer. And then you just two boats and you're extremely vulnerable with two boats. And we were very aware of that. That's why we hired the gunman for roughly, well, all but the last uh, 70 miles. We had a gunman for the last 800 miles. That was mm. followers. For that last 70 miles, we were on our own. But there weren't any human dangers for the last 70 miles. It was just the water conditions that were dangerous. Okay. Because that was it the water pressing in from the from, from the ocean that was that was the issue or yeah, exactly. From the town of Belem to the Atlantic Ocean where the mouth is, that's where yeah. the Amazon spreads out to be 90 miles wide, 90 statute miles wide. Jeez. And it's it's flowing out at its strongest there, and the Atlantic is 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 uh is a uh, doesn't want that, so they don't get along very well, and there are a lot of shallows that create huge waves, and so when the the, the tide comes in and the Amazon's going out, it's uh, very turbulent, and so it was a very wow. harrowing uh, ninety miles or seventy miles, excuse me. Yeah, but I mean, after all, you you made it, and as you mentioned, you wrote a you wrote a, a great a great book about it. That didn't really now all this experience that that didn't stop you from saying, okay, this you're know, going down rivers is or stretches of water is really great. And then you went to uh, actually to Russia, right? You you right. went down the the Volga in very freezing temperatures. Was that the biggest challenge there? Yeah, we started out up near St. Petersburg, and this was right after uh, Russia invaded Crimea. So mm. uh, they weren't, the United States and Russia weren't necessarily getting along very well. And, Were they ever? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, there's a moment or two there in the, uh, a moment or two. Uh, but, but uh, I mean, Gorbachev did his best. But, but anyway, mm. um, the, the Volga was about 2,200 miles long, and we uh you, you we paddled through ice we had to actually drag ourselves over some frozen ponds at the the headwaters of the volga when we were going through the the marshlands there and then the lakes weren't necessarily frozen but they were they were sub freezing temperatures and we learned a lot about paddling in cold weather weather there 
Hey, a quick break. Uh, it will only take a second. I just want to use that opportunity to make you aware that we still have application open for the World Explorers Grant. This is the third time that we give out funding to meaningful expeditions. And this year the funding includes not only monetary support that you will get to make your expedition dream come true, but we also partnered with incredible companies that provide expedition gear in form of tents, clothing, backpacks. So make sure to visit worldexplorerscollective.com or search for it in Google or World Explorers Grant and apply with your adventure and let us know what, what your dream is and what expedition you are planning next and with a bit of luck you will get support on that and you can start on that adventure very very soon and now back to west and that was a lot more civilized expedition than the amazon we were able to make friends in the large cities along the way and they watched our kayaks and and that was almost more of a cultural trip than than uh than a uh a wild trip uh, because we, we we were able to meet and talk with a lot of people along the way. Um, How was that? How did they perceive? I mean, you just mentioned it was right at the time, I guess, around 2014, 20, you know, 15, when it just got really, really bad in the international relations. Um, how were you perceived um, by, by, by the people back then? Well, we were somewhat of a curiosity. Uh, it was nice because we blended in physically, uh, as opposed to the Amazon, where we we stood out as you know a bunch of white guys. But on the, in Russia, we we actually kind of blended in a little bit, <clears throat> which was nice. Although our Russian is very, we speak very poor Russian, so that that kind of turned our hands. But most of the people were just genuinely wonderful to us, and and they were fairly apolitical. There was a couple of drunk mm -hmm. guys that didn't like president obama so they they voiced it but we just avoided them we didn't respond at all to any of their taunts uh but most people were just curious and wanted to speak english with us and talk mm. about what life was like in the united states and and how it was different than and they were curious about well how is it different in russia than the united states and we would talk about various differences and mm. our tax system and and our different tax systems and, and uh, that's uh, interesting that uh, <laughs> you talk about taxes. It was strange because <laughs> we ran into that because we we're down in Volgograd and there's this big flooded area on the street where you could see that the water main was flowing across the street. And mm. we commented on that. The guy drove through it. Our friend drove through there and, and we said, wow, this is terrible. Are they going to come out and fix this? And he said, oh, it's been like this for years. And I said, what are you talking about? How could you have water from your system flowing that someone should come out and fix this immediately and he said well that's not the way it works here with our public works we don't have the money for it i said how is that possible well we weren't aware of each other's tax systems and he explained to us that all the taxes they pay locally go straight up to moscow the kremlin in moscow there are kremlins in every oblast a kremlin just means the capital mm -hmm. and, in 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 russian and and so he said and then once it gets to the kremlin then it depends on the government there putin in this case uh whether he likes your city or not whether you're pro putin whether you voted for him and whether the mm -hmm. politicians are are behind him to depend on if the money is given back to the cities uh definitely definitely then challenging if you have a small road repair that is uh that's just not not getting fixed um exactly let let me go to the latest and i don't know i mean the amazon was one of the, the biggest adventures i think someone can do but you figured out something 
that actually, I mean, you're now among four people who've done the entire length of the Amazon, uh, Amazon, and now from you're the most distant, some, from the most distant from, source, from there the most been, distant source. Yeah, but now you plan something where you and your team will be the first to to do that, which is crossing the Northwest Passage in a similar setup, in a similar uh, kayak setup. Um, so what was the idea behind that? How did how did you get the idea to cross this really infamous passage, which you know obviously links the Atlantic and the Pacific Ocean um north of Canada? Well, um I'm uh I'm somewhat of an armchair historian and I uh one of my one of my passions is reading about historic uh expeditions and the golden age of ex exploration, which is you mm. know. 1700 and it really blossomed in the early to mid 1800s to the early 1900 1900s and one of i have some some uh people that i you know put up on a pedestal or, or some heroes of mine and one one of them is rold amundsen mm. I, I liked him a lot because he he never had any money i mean he he earned some money after he had gone to the south pole but um through some of his speaking engagements and writing and things like this, but he was just a regular guy. I mean, he worked on a whaling ship in order to earn uh, some experience for the Belgica, which was his first expedition, which went down to Antarctica. But I, I've just been a huge fan of Roald Amundsen. And then to hear how he, or to read how he, uh, you know, accomplished the Northwest passage when no one else had been able to, to sail it or navigate it. I mean, there'd been overland and over ice expeditions that were logged, uh, but to first actually navigate it. And he did it on uh, a zero budget with just six guys. And he did it very pragmatically and he learned from the locals on how to live there. It, it, uh, you know, it, it really spoke a lot to me. And, and, uh, and I, I identify with that a lot because, you know, I'm a social worker and I'm, you know, a carpenter on the side, and I I don't have any financial sponsors at all, and so it it I'm always either balancing debt versus taking on extra work in order to you know fund our expeditions and, and the the other expedition members. We all put in money to to do mm. these things on a shoestring, and so Roald Amundsen really spoke to me that he accomplished these great things uh, uh, on a shoestring, and. So that said, I started researching more and more of the Northwest Passage, his first, you know, truly successful expedition. Uh-oh. I'm so sorry. Uh, I'm sorry about that. But uh, the... Anyway, let me repeat that. So Roald Amundsen, uh, you know, accomplished these great things with very little you know, revenue. And so mm. then I started looking at the Northwest Passage and the other attempts to kayak or row the Northwest Passage, human powered. I read uh, John Waterman's book, uh, Arctic Crossing, and John lives up in Colorado. And I spoke to him quite a bit about his experience up there. And I thought, you know, this is something I think we can take on and make an attempt at it. And I guess that's that was the original seed of me starting to put together the expedition, you know, about four years ago. And the plan is to then cross the entirety of the Northwest Passage in in a kayak. Right? That's, 
That's correct. Uh, in one season as well. In what? Yeah. Okay. That's a that's a because there have been attempts with various stopovers and restarting. So the in general the stretch has been navigated, just never in one season. No, that's incorrect uh, or inaccurate. Excuse me. Uh, it has never been navigated, even in even in multi-year sections, primarily because those that have crossed it uh, go over land uh, in in several sections. For instance, John Waterman did a great job of it. He didn't quite make it to the Baffin Bay. He stopped in in Churchill, I believe, after going over land. Uh, and same thing with with. Um, uh, Victoria Jason and Don Starkel. They started in in Manitoba and paddled up Hudson Bay, and they ended up in on the other side of the passage. But they did these overland portages. Uh, so to to navigate it, you know, take it by waterway, has never ever been accomplished in 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 a in a rowing rig or a kayak or by by human power. Yeah, is it part because the this passage is just even more extreme and dangerous than? the amazon because i think it's so far away from absolutely any civilization that if something goes wrong you you are entirely on your own right that's exactly right the amazon is, is far more populated than the northwest passage you'll run into a village or multiple villages per day every day on the amazon the amazon is very populated because people live along the river whereas the passage yeah i mean you're going to go from you know the farthest distance between two towns is like from arctic bay to joahaven and or cambridge bay and that's several weeks that you will not run into another human being to have to have that clear you've just come back from that expedition or uh, fairly recently you had your first go at it and when i say first go obviously it means that there will be a second one because the, the first one didn't succeed as it planned um you mentioned in the beginning very very briefly that you were running out of food at some point um how, how did that happen well this past year in, in 2022 uh you know i did as much research as we could we got all the charts and you know even with that there are some variables that that we got wrong well i got wrong mm -hmm. and and that was the impact of the wind uh the wind and according to the people that live up there it was probably one of the windiest years they've ever seen and we can paddle in a certain amount of wind but when it gets over you know 20 to 30 knots then it's just impossible no matter what direction even if it's behind us it's still too rough to kayak mm. and dangerous especially in conditions where you have you know a 300 foot cliff on one side and nothing but ocean on the other side so that can be a bit harrowing so the quick and dirty of it was i did not plan on as much downtime in other words we're gonna have to plan on sitting on shore for maybe a week at a time all the while eating our food and burning our fuel uh to wait for the conditions to be right and then kayak as far as we can until the conditions turn bad again and so it's not like other expeditions where you can just plan on you know kayaking every day you know forever we're not going to be able to be on the water every day and the Northwest Passage. So that's one thing I didn't plan on, and that's what was ultimately our uh, our pitfall. We tried to make uh, up for it while we were there by arranging for a food drop in the middle, but that fell through. And once that fell through, there was just uh, no reasonable way that we could, we could keep going. And so 
we came up with a plan for this year that will not rely upon us resupplying food. No, it will be completely self-sufficient this time from beginning to end. Or? Yeah, we'll mail food drops to towns ahead of time like Cambridge Bay or Joachaven, mm. but we'll have to get to those towns before we get any kind of resupply. That, okay, so there's 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 no in in between um, where you need to rely on. You just you just have it uh, with you, plan for the worst in a way. That, exactly. That you, yeah. Like Roald Amundsen did. He always planned for everything to go wrong. And that's to that end, that's why we increased the size of our team. Instead of three people, which we launched in three solo kayaks last year, this next year we're going to have two tandem kayaks and one solo kayak. That'll do a couple of things. That'll increase our speed on the water uh, and also increase our storage capacity for carrying food and uh, increase our safety. So in case someone tumps over in the middle of a long crossing or something, then the other boats will be there to to help with the rescue. When you now compare to these um, explorers from 200 years ago, how much of that danger and that risk and this raw nature is still in the Northwest Passage? Like, How much has changed and how challenging is it still to get through there? It's it's still extremely challenging. I was just reading on, uh, or I'm currently reading uh, John Ross's uh, uh, book on uh, the victory, when he took the victory up there in the 1820s. And he's going through near Fury Beach, which is on the western coast of Prince Regent Inlet. And uh, the weather conditions in August, and they, they took very good journals, uh, are exactly the same as they are now. The ice, the sea ice is diminished. That's the only change. But the storms and the, the winds uh, were pretty bad back then. Uh, and they're arguably a little worse now because, because of climate change. So plus we're in smaller uh, watercraft. You know, we're in, we're in sea kayaks. And granted, kayaks are indigenous or, you know, were developed by the Inuit, but not necessarily the Inuit in the Northwest Passage. These were Greenland and Alaskan uh, indigenous cultures that developed the kayak. It was, you had an umiak that was a type of skin boat that was used in the Northwest Passage, uh, but it was primarily ice. So they didn't rely upon a kayak or couldn't rely upon a kayak. They did yeah. most of the running on the, the frozen sea. So it was kind of new. The population and civilization How much has that changed in the past 200 years? It's still the same same cultures living up there, more or less? The culture does go very far back. Uh, the written uh, history is pretty sketchy. Most of it was passed by word of mouth. So some of that, uh, I, I talked with a lot of the people that live up there, and, the, and a lot of the dances and songs they do and sing, they don't recall the culture or the origin. They just kind of do it as tradition. And that's sad mm. to see. But the hunting and fishing culture is very much still at the core of their existence. Uh, if they're going to be doing anything, the, the the people I talk to, primarily the men, they all want to talk about hunting and fishing. That's their that's that's at their heart. And even after they have food coming in, you know, as much food as they want in the grocery stores, they would still they still rely upon hunting and fishing. Did you um, pick that up as well out there, or you completely rely on provisions that you bring along? We're relying upon provisions. We don't have the rights to do any hunting or fishing up there. Uh, right. 
that's strictly for the indigenous community. I could probably get a license, but we can't waste time hunting or fishing while we're there. But we will eat. If someone wants to give us fish, we're definitely going to eat it. We love Arctic char, and we ate quite a bit of it up there. And we ate Norwal, which was really some of the best eating I've ever done. It's the most richest, some of the richest meat I've ever had. But uh, we're not going to, we're not going to rely on anything like that. Yeah. What is um, what is driving you out there in these places? I mean, the Amazon, the Volga, now the Arctic and going out again. What is pulling you out there or moving you towards all these all these crazy adventures? You know, that's the million dollar question, isn't it? And, and I'm not sure uh, explorers actually have that answer. You know, I know that, uh, that uh, you know, the old adage about why'd you climb the mountain because it's there. I mean, that's almost a flippant response, but it, it, uh, that Mallory answered, uh, but, um, it's, it's hard to put into a succinct answer, except I know that I'm more relaxed when I'm out there. Uh, I cope better. Uh, the, the, uh, it's just, I feel much, much more at home there than I do here. And it's, it's a, it's, it's a weird paradox because while I'm out there, I miss my wife and I miss my daughter, uh, every day. Mm. But while I'm here, I miss being there. So it's, it's a, it's a, it's a constant struggle. And yeah. it, if I weren't planning for an expedition, I would probably go insane. So I'm sorry if I don't have a, a, a pat answer. But I, w I wasn't expecting one. Um, <laughs> I know, I know. Uh, if, if someone can answer that question, it's uh, it's a tough one. Yeah. And did you have a, or do you have a plan on doing trips then with your family, combining the best of both worlds, bringing them along as you did a little bit in the Amazon? My wife is actually an avid hiker and backpacker, mm. and she, uh, we, we'd eventually, you know, we're going to probably retire from work here in three or four years. And and then we want to start doing some of the long hiking trails, like the Appalachian Trail, the Pacific yep. Coast Trail, and some trails in Europe. Uh, she's very fast. She leads. Uh, if I were to lead on a hiking trip, we would be we'd be out there forever just strolling because I'm a slow walker. So she'll take the lead and I can look over her head because she's shorter than I am and, and we'll we can burn up some miles. So she's going to be going to Mont Blanc uh, next year or, or oh, this right. year with some friends. Uh, and uh, and I'll do some land based uh, expeditions with her. Uh, our daughter is an active hiker. She hasn't done as much backpacking as we have, but she's she's uh, she's pretty good at it. I'm happy to hear you don't have a family at home which has no interest in in the outdoors, and you have to uh, you know balance these two worlds. So there there is a decent overlap uh, to some extent, at least. Yeah, exactly. And they were both down on the Amazon at the headwaters mm -hmm. of the Amazon for about uh, a month, month and a half. So that was nice to have them there at the start. Oh, amazing. It must have been great. I did not only succeed, you know, get done with the expeditions and, and having that released and also having your family down there. That's, uh, that sounds that sounds well planned. They weren't, a, they weren't down there very much. I mean, they weren't there at the end or anything like that, but it was nice to have them at the start. And, and yeah. If if I could have them there, I would. It's just, you know, most of the time not financially feasible. The financial point that you mentioned, uh, that, that you mentioned is it's just such a prevailing one. And when you read 
books, when you read articles, you, you know, you see these big expeditions, I don't know, Red Bull sponsored or something, something and flying into space. I don't know, of course, the most extreme. But then when you actually get down to it, you realize how many people are out there just like you. And even when when, when you read about your books, you, you don't even you don't even understand on how much of a shoestring you did all of that and that there is just not a hundred or two hundred thousand dollars yeah. behind it that, that okay you just buy like everything needs to work and you just down to the last nail of okay what can i still buy with that tiny tiny budget well it's interesting you bring that up and i appreciate you bringing it up because there's definitely uh uh, a divide in the expedition community between the people that have a lot of money and those of us who don't. And and I'm I'm a member of the Explorers Club. In fact, I'm the 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 chair of the Texas mm. chapter of the Explorers yeah. Club. And with even within our ranks, I mean, there's a little over three thousand members worldwide. Uh, there are there are those that garner uh, a large amount of attention and uh, attention for what what they do. Uh, uh, and, and a lot of those guys hire marketing firms in order to help promote what they do. And what many of them, not many, but what some have accomplished aren't near uh, extraordinary as to what others accomplished. But by the mere fact that they can spend, you know, thousands and thousands of dollars on a New York marketing firm, they get on, you know, Joe Rogan or they get the morning television news shows and they get the book tours and they get the book contracts and things like that. Yeah. But for most of us, or at least the the other side of the tracks that do these things on a shoestring and and have no financial sponsors, and we don't have we're not independently wealthy, uh, we have to actually go to work every week if, in order yeah. to pay for food and our our mortgages. Um, you know, we don't have those opportunities to promote our expeditions. I mean, we can put up websites and do social media, but. Beyond that, we don't have, you know, a staff that, you know, schedule us for, you know, radio interviews and, and things like that. So there's a there's a huge divide in the expedition world in that regard. And I hundred percent. Yeah. And, you know, you just kind of have to come to terms with it. And as you know, Terry Apsbury said, you know, and if you're dissatisfied with a penguin's egg, then then you're approaching your expedition just right. If that's if that's all you expect. So that's what you have to do. I think an amazing part of it, at, at least if, you know, you get so much fulfillment out of that expedition that of course it's great if, you know, you have a book contract lined up or you have some sponsor, but, you know, in the end, there's also a certain, I think there's a certain romance in knowing, okay, I'm, I'm doing this by myself and I'm doing it very, very cheaply. Um, and I still able, you know, maybe to, to make it through, um, I think that can add a, a little sense of accomplishment and also gratitude towards just these small wins and these small successes. And, you know, even if you haven't been the fastest or the first to do something like that, but, you know, you might've been the first one who's just completely pulling it off by himself. And I think that's worth that that's worth something. Right. Plus I think it also gets down to your motivation. I mean, if you are, if someone is doing it for the acclaim or the attention, yeah. uh, they can be let down. Whereas if we accomplish, if my team this year accomplishes what we're trying to do, just the mere fact that we accomplished it. All right. I'm satisfied. Uh, and anything else is just icing on the cake. 
And, and, and granted, I would not turn down a $200,000 sponsor. That would be <laughs> wonderful. But uh, yeah. I'm, not, I'm not bemoaning that or, or looking down my nose at that. I'm just saying that that's not available to, yeah. to people like me. Um, yeah. And uh, so the mere fact that our team of five and, and our two two managers, Barbara and Tom, uh, accomplished this thing, I'm, I, you know, I feel pretty good about it, and and I won't yeah. be down because I certainly don't have any expectations that that many people will pay attention to it. No, uh, I will definitely definitely do that. The Arctic Cowboys, right? That's how you call yourself. That's correct. Or the awesome. Arctic I think Cowboys. it's the the Arctic Cowboys. Amazing. Yeah, definitely definitely keep an keep an eye on that. Um, West has been absolutely amazing uh, talking to you, and I do have uh, tremendous regrets that I actually have not go into like way more detail on your expedition before i set out and reaching out to you it's and at the same time i think if i had done that and you had told me all these things i didn't know um <laughs> i might have not gone so i'm kind of you know maybe it was good that i didn't know so much because uh well you know i don't know if i would have uh, then felt like ah, okay i still want to do that <laughs> well it's still there and uh, if you ever do want to go back to the amazon Please get in touch with me or have any of your listeners uh, contact me through my website, westhampton.com, and I'd be more than happy to help you out. I have maps. I have contacts in the Amazon. I can uh, lead you in the right direction. I never have told anybody they can't do it or shouldn't do it. Uh, mm. I've had people tell me those things, and I they, they, that doesn't mean anything. And so if someone wants to do the Amazon or, or do the Northwest Passage or the Volga, please contact me and I'd be more than happy to share whatever information I have. I, I think it's wonderful that people attempt these things. Yeah. And I, I think you just mentioned one more great point and that, you know, so brings me back a bit what you said about what's driving you that you also learn from some of the world's greatest explorers out there and take their, you know, take their account into consideration of what they've experienced and not being, um, you know, arrogant that you know it better, just constantly being humble. And oh, if someone has done it, then you should learn from that person. That person has some kind of valuable information. And I think it's amazing that you that you live that spirit, that you live that and say, okay, I want to I want to give that information away as much as possible to to help people. You know, just as much as you've uh, been inspired by the earlier explorers of all times. Exactly. And and once again, that was not something I came up with myself. That's something I learned from Roald Amundsen. The reason mm -hmm. he was successful and beat uh, Falcon Scott to the South Pole is because Roald Amundsen learned from the Inuit on how to live in frozen conditions. And he took every one of those lessons very seriously, whereas Scott uh, died from hubris because he figured mm -hmm. he knew better. And the, the, the science of the British Empire was much more... Uh, uh, dominant or, or 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 you know just 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 more elevated than anything the inuit would know and yeah. subsequently died uh because they manhauled they didn't have enough calories uh they they did everything wrong and amundsen learned from people before him and 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 that's what i do and i hope i can pass on to others so please contact me i'd be more than happy to help anybody out i can amazing one absolute final question on all your trips, um, do you have one item or one gadget that you say this is this is my most valuable thing, and this is what I if I could only bring one item, that would be it. Oh wow! Uh, um, I've never been asked that, but that's that's a good question. Uh, you know, 
a good knife because you can use a knife as a screwdriver. You can whittle things down. Uh, and this year we were given uh, uh, knives from Templar, T-E-M-P-L-A-R. They're our, our knife mm -hmm. sponsor. And they're handmade knives, and they're just wonderful knives. Uh, and every expedition, we take uh, a specific expedition knife. And Templar came through with us on these. They're stainless steel. Because, I mean, if you are to just have one thing, I mean, it's a, it's a source of protection. It's a way to carve up meat. It's a way to hunt. Uh, it's just everything. Uh, so a good knife. That was West Hansen, an incredible adventurer and explorer who was uh, truly trying to step into the footsteps of, in my opinion, some of the great explorers um, that, that we've seen throughout, throughout the centuries. And what I like about his approach so much is he understands that he doesn't know everything and he understands that there are limits of what he can do. And instead of taking risks and being arrogant and thinking that, you know, you don't have to learn and you don't have to get taught by people. He actually makes sure that he reaches out to as many people and, you know, reads these accounts and, you know, being overprepared and especially stopping when it's becoming too dangerous. And it's, this is not about, you know, this was getting a bit dangerous. This is when on a risk scale, it just becomes disproportionately stupid to continue because all of the preparations, all of the things that, that happened before the trip, they, they now point downwards and they now point all against you and so that's why I think it's so important and such a valuable lesson to think about what can go wrong and, and understand certain triggers in your expedition and in your adventure and when these are triggered they need to turn around we have seen this from uh, so many athletes and explorers now that have been on the podcast and that, that, that climb mountains and turn around a couple of meters before the summit Something that, that seems to some of us maybe illogical, like, you know, push yourself. That's just a bit. That's why you're here. But that's exactly why these people are able to be on the podcast and able to share their stories. And they give it another go. They give it another try and a third and a fourth and a fifth try. And it will work eventually. But they're not risking their lives. And so, again, I, I, like, this, I like this message of a risk manager. And anyone who's now feeling like they should uh, update their library with some adventures books. First of all, West's book is uh, it's called Source to Sea. Um, the Amazon, it's available everywhere where you can find books and it's an incredible read and an account of his absolutely fantastic journey. And even though it's a little bit of self-promotion, but if you're actually curious about my adventure and the the trip that I had, which ended really badly um which is probably not a surprise now that we've heard about what happened what can happen to you on the amazon the book is called journey into the amazon um, and it's available on uh, amazon so yeah i would be absolutely grateful if some of you feel like reading that as well and um, i can only i can only echo what west has now told me in this in this episode that 
he's so happy when people reach out to him who have similar adventures. And um, even though I don't expect that I can be a tremendous source of help, but I will do everything in my power to help anyone who is uh, interested in going to the Amazon, who has these kind of adventures and who just needs advice. So this is uh, a 100% open invitation to reach out. Best is via the World Explorers Collective. This mail, this message on Instagram, Facebook, whatever, it will reach me and I will respond um, because there's so many lessons learned. And this is the big, big reason why we do the show is to share lessons and actually to inspire people to go out and do more of these adventures and understand that we can all learn from each other and uh, at the same time that you don't need to be a billionaire and you don't need to be a incredible athlete. If you have determination, if you have a dream, you can go out and you can achieve absolutely fantastic things. So on that wonderful note, I almost forgot the last little detail, and that is the final reminder of our World Explorers grant, which ties wonderful in this vision that we want to enable people to go out and seek the adventure and explore our planet. Application is still open until end of April 2023. So you can pitch your expedition and you can pitch your adventure on worldexplorerscollective.com. Write what you plan on doing when you're starting. And then with a bit of luck, you will receive not only monetary funding, but we also partnered with incredible companies that provide expedition gear tailored towards your expedition. So don't miss that chance. If you have adventure or expedition travel dreams, um, make sure that you go to the link, go to the website and apply. That was it for today. There will be a new episode coming out next Sunday. So I hope you stay tuned and Thank you so much for listening.